Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. No, you're gonna have to say no to that one. <laughs> no. Like you've got heaven and hell, I don't really know my thoughts on that. I do believe in negative forces, but not necessarily one man called the devil. I believe in karma. I believe that people who do bad things will get what's coming to them. I think that every human being is capable of wonderful things and terrible things, and it's just what you nurture. If there is a higher good power, and if I can believe in that higher good power, then I think I must give space for some amount of belief in, all, in evil as well. No, not really, but I do believe in monsters. Why do I think bad things happen? Oh my gosh. It's the luck of the draw. It just happens. We live in an imperfect world, so... It's just bad luck. I think it's principle of nature, because we have good things, of course we have bad things. So there's a man by the name of Bruce Streather, and he, uh, he was a participant in the Alpha program, and nothing convinced him of belief in God, because he was this argumentative lawyer, and he would sit in each week and... Nothing could really kind of sway him one way or the other. And he was an atheist. And while none of the talks convinced him, he even decided to go on the Alpha Weekend. And he went away on the Alpha Weekend where it's the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And even with that, nothing happened. But then, it was actually this talk, How Can I Resist Evil, that started to change his mind. At the end of the talk, he actually came forward and he said, I'm a lawyer, and in my practice as a lawyer, I see so much evil. I've always believed in the power of evil. But now I realize that if there's a power of evil, it's only logical to believe in a power of good. And it was that night that put him on a journey that ultimately led him to become a Christian. Some people find it easy to believe in evil and the devil Others have a harder time. William Peter Blatty, he wrote the book and the screenplay for the movie The Exorcist. He said this, as far as God goes, I'm a non-believer. But when it comes to the devil, well, that's something else. The devil keeps advertising. The devil does lots of commercials. The Apostle Paul speaks about the spiritual forces of evil that are at work in the world today. And the claim in the New Testament is that just as behind good is God himself, so behind evil is the devil. Now that might sound a bit far-fetched, but for some, it's easier to believe in the devil than it is to believe in God. And here, let's watch a quick click of, clip of Nicky Gumbel talking about this when he first became a Christian. I had great difficulty believing that God could exist. I became a Christian. I came to believe in God. But then somebody said to me that there's a devil. I thought, come on, it's hard enough to believe there's a God, let alone to believe that there's a devil. Part of the problem is that I had a false image of God and of the devil. I had a picture of God as an old man with a beard sitting on a cloud. Similarly, I had a false image of the devil. I thought of the devil with horns, a tail, cloven hooves, and a pitchfork. Of course, those images of God and of the devil are not only unbelievable, they're also unbiblical. So where does evil come from? Well, the New Testament talks about a kind of triple alliance, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world 
is the enemy around us. It's all the evil that's around us, the world that's turned away from God. The flesh is the enemy within. The flesh isn't referring to just the body. There's nothing evil about the body. It's the evil desires that come from within each of us. And then the devil is the enemy above. Jesus clearly believed in the existence of the devil. He taught his disciples to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Jesus himself was tempted by the devil. So scripture talks about the existence of the devil, but also tradition. Christians down the ages have always believed in spiritual forces of evil. And you may have had this experience, particularly if you've had a powerful moment with the Holy Spirit and an experience of the Holy Spirit, then you suddenly seem to find all kinds of things just coming against you, temptations you weren't even aware of before. I've even been feeling some of this stuff since we've started the Alpha series in January. But then there's also common sense. How do we explain so much evil in the world? We live in a world where terrible things happen. Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire, was, he, he is a Canadian humanitarian and was part of the UN peacekeeping force in Rwanda. And he witnessed the genocide there in 1994. But because he had only a small number of officers, he wasn't able to stop it. Afterwards, he wrote a book called Shake Hands with the Devil. And he wrote this, I know that there's a God because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him. I've smelled him. I've touched him. I know the devil exists. And therefore, I know that there's a God. There are two equal and opposite dangers when we think about evil. One danger is just complete disbelief. Just write it off. And the other is an unhealthy and excessive interest in the powers and the practices of evil. Things like Ouija boards and tarot cards, horoscopes, palm reading, that kind of thing. People who are on a spiritual search often experiment with these kind of things. And it's not an unforgivable sin. But if you do it, I would say turn from it. As we talk about repent from it. Get rid of any books or anything in your life associated with it. And lean into God. Because there are unseen powers and forces of evil. We're not supposed to have this unhealthy or excessive interest in it. And in fact, last summer I was taking a course called The Art of Better Preaching, hosted by these two pastors. And one pastor said that even if no one showed up at his church on a Sunday morning, he would still preach the message that he had prepared because there were principalities and powers that need the gospel of Jesus preached against them, even if there's no person in the room to hear it. The devil wants to destroy our lives. Jesus described the devil as a thief who wants to rob us. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his ultimate aim. It's the complete opposite of what Jesus wants for your life. Jesus loves you. Jesus continues on and says, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. That's what God wants for you, fullness of life. The devil's aim is to destroy, and he uses clever tactics. It's never obvious at the start where he's trying to take you. When people start looking at internet porn, they don't realize what it's actually doing to their, 
neurological pathways. When people tamper with drugs, they don't realize where that may lead. A previous pastor that I served under, he used to always say that we're all just one bad decision away from destruction. I was accused of murder when I was 15. At 16 year old, I eventually went to jail and I went to a detention center called Medhamsley. It was very, very harsh. In that place, I was told what to do and I wouldn't do it. I was anti-authority. I had, I had a lot of physical beatings in there. I was put in solitary confinement a lot and, and it didn't help me. I just thought these people were bullies. So when I got out of there, I was more angry than when I went in. I was in embarrassment to my mother. She said, you know what? She said, you're the son of Satan. You're evil. She said, you're worse than your father ever was. Now that was bad to me because my dad was very violent to my mum, often raped her. So for me, for her to say I was worse than my dad, it was the son of Satan and just got me really angry. And so my next step was to become a football hooligan. Started getting slashed, I got cut up across my face, had my little finger chopped off. I was stabbed four times in the arm and chest. I've had a bottle in both eyes, I've got no front teeth. I had both my shoulders, my arms pulled out my sockets. It was anarchy. I loved to fight the things I did, which I couldn't mention, really. But I did some very, very, very seriously evil things. I was evil. I was sheer evil. The devil wants to take us on a path of destruction. So what are the devil's tactics? And you can follow along in those workbooks on your tables. I know they, they have some of the points tracking with it. But the first is doubt. All important things in life require faith, and therefore they're open to doubt. The devil wants us to doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts, but God wants us to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. The devil lies and causes us to doubt who we are and who God is. Jesus describes the devil as a liar and the father of lies. In the Garden of Eden, in the opening chapters of Genesis, which is really an expose on how evil works, the devil is described in terms of a serpent, whose opening line to humanity is, did God really say? He casts doubt on what God has said. And we see that clearly with Jesus at his baptism in the River Jordan. The words of his father coming down from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And immediately afterward, Jesus is led out into the desert, and the devil comes to him, and his opening line is, if you are the Son of God. In other words, the devil tries to make Jesus doubt his identity. The devil will try to get you to doubt God's goodness, to persuade you that God just wants to ruin all your fun. He lies about God's identity, and he lies about your identity. And if he can get you to doubt your identity as a Christian, as a child of God, then he absolutely will. Many of us struggle with self-doubt, lies about ourselves that other people have told us, and we've ended up believing about ourselves. But our true identity is that we're children of God. We're deeply loved by God, by our Heavenly Father. We're created in his image for a unique purpose. But another tactic of the devil is temptation. All of us experience temptation to some degree. Booze and sex and all that sort of stuff, 
There's a lot of things that tempt me. Lying to people. I get very angry most of the times. I'm not gonna lie, a lot of girls. Shops. <laughs> Being mean, rude. Procrastinating. Oh, my greatest temptation is cheating. If you think about it, all the good stuff is bad for you. All the bad stuff is good for you. Women like, I guess. Going out and buying lunch every day instead of just making it myself. I try to change though. I try to like kind of focus on like what really matters, but the kind of quick fix is very tempting by trying. So you can either withdraw from it and just ignore it, or you can go for it and see what happens. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. Everybody's tempted. You can't go through life without experiencing temptation. Jesus was tempted in every way, just like us, except he was without sin. So it's important to make the distinction between temptation and sin. The New Testament makes it clear that it's the devil who tempts us. It's not God. So in Matthew 4.3, Satan is described as the tempter. And sometimes we have this thought that comes into our minds and we think, where did that come from? But that's not sin. It's only sin if we adopt it and we act on it. But the devil makes us think that we've already messed up. And now it doesn't matter what you do because you've already fallen. So then there's the tactic of deception. All sin is essentially a form of deception. And again in Genesis where the devil in the form of a serpent says, you will not surely die if you disobey God. In other words, it's not going to do you any harm. But the devil tries to deceive us into thinking God doesn't love us or that God doesn't want us to have the best in life. But Jesus wants us to have life and life in all of its fullness. He loves you. He doesn't want, he doesn't want us to experience evil. He wants us to experience good. Keith and I were actually just talking about it this, this week with Dave. And that sin is essentially anything that breaks or disrupts the shalom, the peace, the harmony that God desires and intended for the world. Sin has so much baggage, and, and I'm sure we bring so much to the table with it, with our upbringings and different things we've heard, but God has this desire for the world, and he, he created it in such a way, and sin is this anything that, that disrupts or breaks that peace. One of the other titles of the devil is the accuser. He makes us doubt God's goodness and love. He tempts us to break God's commands, which are there for our own protection. And then he accuses and he condemns us. And there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. It's when we kind of, we're convicted. We, we get this sense of we know exactly what we've done wrong. And we can turn away from it. We can receive forgiveness. But condemnation... It's from the devil. Condemnation is where we just feel really bad about ourselves. This sense of shame. But the New Testament tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took the condemnation that we deserve upon himself so that we don't have to. Our position in the battle has changed. So the Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son he loves. In other words, we were once in this dominion of darkness where in a sense the devil was in control. We were addicted to stuff. 
But through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, the moment that you invite Jesus into your life, into your heart, he transfers, transfers you from this dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus where there's freedom. Jesus is in control. There's freedom, total freedom. By 1995, I was a tramp, and I didn't realise this then. The inside of my body was shutting down, so all I did was drink, take drugs, didn't eat. I didn't realise I was getting septicemia. I had malnutrition and dehydration. In March of 1996, some people turned up on the street, and they said to me, do you know Jesus loves you? And I chased them. Jesus, my nana sang about Jesus when I was a kid. There was no such thing a week after they came back. And I've seen these Christian men and women on the street for the next six months. One morning I woke up, it was just a normal day. I got my drink and my drugs and I collapsed. I was rushed to hospital. I was in a coma for six days. My mother was asked to come to the hospital. She went to the hospital. I was dead. I'd had my last rites on the sixth day. The consultant said to my mum, there's nothing I can do. So she said, can I have a few more hours to think about it? So my mum went out of the room and there was a lot of people there come to say goodbye to me. And then Tony, my mate, said to my mum, there's some Christian lads here. And my mum went, well, what good is that going to do? How can that help him? He's dead. And they said, well, let us pray for him. So they went and prayed for me and they put their hands on my head. And they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, give this man new life. And I woke up, sat up, pulled the mask out my mouth. I was alive come back to life. But it wasn't just a miraculous waking up of the coma. I woke up totally different. I knew I'd never drink again, I'd take drugs, I'd smoke. I wanted to help people. I actually thought I'd gone insane, to be honest. And these Christian men said to me, do you know what, Graham, you need to go on an alpha course? So I said, what's one of them? We went on the day away. So on the third talk on the afternoon, and I stood up and I said, Jesus, this exact words, I've never forgot it. It was November the 9th, 1996, a quarter to three. And I said, Jesus, and I, I've been told you love me, and I kind of believe that you love me, but it's not enough. I need to know something in my heart. And as I said that, and I said, sorry, will you come into my life? I fell back into my chair, and I was crying. I, I couldn't stop. At that moment, as them tears flooded out my eyes, I knew where I was from, I knew who I was, and I knew what I had to do. So that night at 10 o'clock, I went back to the streets of Middlesbrough, full of Jesus, and I began my ministry. That was 19 years ago, and ever since then, that's what I've done. I've gone, I've told people about Jesus, I've run 141 Alpha courses. There's a couple of things I say to people on the streets or in the prison when I first meet them because they're full of doubt, you know, I was doubtful and I said, well, Grandma, how do you really know that, you know, you didn't just wake up out of a coma? Now, maybe I did just come out of that coma by coincidence, but I often say, for the last 19 years, why have I lived how I have, you know? Where did the violence go? Where did the anger and the rejection and not knowing about love. Where did that go in one night? Jesus is supreme love. That's what changes, that's what changed Graham Seed. So if it changed Graham Seed, it endures for anyone. This is the kingdom of God. 
This is where we experience transformation. The Bible doesn't tell us who we're not. It, it begins and, and tells us who we are. Who we are are people loved by God, and we're invited into his kingdom. And that is the place of freedom. That's the place of this fullness of life. But if we experience this transformation, then why do we still struggle with temptation? Why do we still struggle with evil? So let me use this analogy. The decisive moment of the Second World War was D-Day. On the 6th of June, 1944, at dawn, thousands of Allied troops began to pour onto the beaches under heavy enemy fire. Though many lives were lost, it was the greatest breakthrough. Essentially, it was the day that the war was won. At the death and resurrection of Jesus, the ultimate victory was won. That was the decisive moment. At the moment you invited Jesus into your life, you've, if you've done that, the power of sin has been broken. But the war didn't then there. There was a whole period of months of the mopping up operations until VE Day, victory in Europe, on the 8th of May, 1945. And in a sense, right now, we live between D-Day and VE Day. The victory's been won, but we're still here in this period of the mopping up operations, which will only be complete when Jesus returns, when we get to meet him. So if your experience is anything like mine, the moment I encountered Jesus, there was a lot that changed in my life. It's going to sound silly, but one of the things was actually reading. I'd never picked up a book since about grade three and finished it from cover to cover. And I just couldn't get enough of reading theology and, and ministry books. But there are other times that I struggle with things. And if I'm being honest, as I was admitting earlier tonight too, I still struggle with them today. But the one, the one thing that comes back to mind as I was trying to think of an example I could share was... I forget the exact year, but it was the year that the uh, Vancouver Canucks were in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I, I, I've probably shared this before, but we were having our year-end youth party. I was a youth pastor out in BC, and we, we decorated everything for the, the Stanley Cup. Game seven, and kids had shaved the logo of the Canucks into their head, and it, our faces were painted, and we had Boston Bruin pinatas, and... Uh, Vancouver lost. It was the worst year-end party that I've ever thrown. We were depressed. There were riots downtown Vancouver. Some of our youth were stuck down there with friends and family and couldn't get home. But after that party, I was actually taking a red-eye back here to Hamilton to be in a friend's wedding. So I get on the flight, and I fly to Hamilton, and I get here, and I'm tired. I'm depressed, thinking that was a crappy year-end party for the youth group, and... Then I go to pay my parking ticket to get out, and none of the machines were working. So then I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. I'll just take, get in the car and pay at the exit. So then I drive to the exit, and there was no one there. So then I ring, and they're like, well, you'll have to turn around and come back to the office. And I'm livid by this point. I'm frustrated, and I'm mad, and I'm storming into the office. And they're like, okay, they're trying to calm me down. What's your name? Kevin. And okay, well, what do you do for a living? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, um, and man, I've got a long way to go. Um, 
it's not easy. We're still in this battle. It's a process, and it won't be complete until Jesus returns. So what's our defense? How, how do we fight this battle? Well, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that to fight this battle, we have to be strong in the Lord. We have to put on the full armor of God. Effectively, the Bible is saying that we have to get rid of the bad habits, replace them with good ones. And I highly recommend these habits. They're simple. Stay close to Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus by putting on the belt of truth around your waist. Jesus said, I am the truth. This is the opposite of hypocrisy. It's authenticity, integrity, openness in your life that's focused on Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness. Keep your relationships right. Keep short accounts. If you mess up, as we all do, ask God to forgive you. Pick yourself up quickly. And the same with other people. If you've had a falling out with someone else, deal with it quickly. Ask for forgiveness. Get it sorted out. And then get involved in service with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Don't just sit around doing nothing, but get involved. Get involved in the community. Get involved with the church. Um, as a church, we're, we're trying to be more and more involved in our community. But then trust in God in difficult times. Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The devil is going to throw stuff at you. Doubt, fears, anxieties, lusts, all kinds of things. But keep on trusting. Don't give up your faith. Then put on the helmet of salvation. Win the battle of the mind. Salvation means freedom. The freedom which Jesus brings. And these temptations tend to start in the mind. A thought becomes an action. An action becomes a habit. And a habit becomes a destiny. But then know your Bible. Soak yourself in the word of God. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I, I really encourage you to know the book, to read it daily if you can, whether it's a hard copy, whether it's the Bible in one year app or the, the version Bible on your phone, whatever works for you. But here's the power of it. Each time Jesus was tempted, he replied with a verse from the Bible, from Scripture. He knew the Scriptures well, and he used it as a defense against the attacks of the enemy. And then keep praying. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So keep close to God through prayer, through constant communication. And lastly, stand firm together. I like this imagery here because there's no armor for the back. We're most vulnerable when we're running away. But we're far stronger when we stand together. And the good news is you can do it. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We can overcome evil with good. That's how we attack. That's how we go on the offense. And one of the ways that we can do this is through forgiveness. In the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, known as the Lord's Prayer, he tells them to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiving someone is one of the hardest things we can do, but there is such power in forgiveness. My name is Parti Emanuel and I participated in the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi. 
I married many Tutsi under the order of bad leadership and have spent six years in prison and four years in community service. While in prison, fellow prisoners invited me to try Alpha. I went, but struggled to engage. I realized I needed to tell the truth about what I had done and wrote a letter asking for forgiveness of the relatives of those I had murdered. Life was so hard after being released from prison. I found my wife with two children that were not mine and I faced many heartbreaking situations. I didn't know how I was going to live with the genocide survivors after what I had done. My heart was filled with agony, loneliness and fear. Encouraged by Alpha in prison, I decided to do Alpha again. I learned that Jesus forgives and experienced love in a way I had never known before. With the help of a local pastor, I went to find Vincent, whose mother and grandmother I had killed, to ask for forgiveness. I now live in a village built for genocide survivors and perpetrators. Vincent lives in the same village. We have formed a friendship, and I now experience peace like I haven't experienced it before. Day-to-day -day life continues to be a challenge, but I have found forgiveness and healing for the things that I've done. So Paul writes, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't just go through life saying, I didn't do anyone any harm. That's not a great ambition. How about doing some good? There's so much injustice in our world and so much that can happen when we fight evil with good, when we fight against injustice. So let's just look at what other people have done in the past inspired by the example of Jesus. Look at Wilberforce, how he led the campaign to abolish slavery. Look at Martin Luther King Jr., how he, how he fought to bring an end to the segregation between black and white in North America. And look at Mother Teresa, who transformed so many lives by giving herself wholeheartedly to the poor. But this isn't just for the great heroes of history. This is for you. This is for us. This is why our mission here at The Well is to make Jesus known so that lives and communities will be transformed. Your life can make a real difference. Your life has purpose. You can leave a legacy of transformed lives. But don't, become, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's close in prayer and then we'll break into discussion. But Heavenly Father, God, I thank you again for the opportunity we have to be here and to lift up the name of Jesus. And God, I pray against the powers and principalities that surround us, that we're not even aware of, that we can't see. And God, I pray that 
you just continue to cover us in your son's blood. And that we can continue on fighting the good fight and making your name known so that this community will be changed, will be transformed. God, I thank you for the awesome opportunity that we have to play a part in that. And as we break into discussion around the tables, I pray that, again, while it's a hard topic to get our head fully around, let us lean into the understanding and confidence that we have that you are in control, that you are for us, and you love us. Help us grow in that confidence tonight. In your name we pray, amen. So we'll take about 15 minutes just to uh, meet around the table, and um, the questions that we're going to be talking about tonight are, what did you think or feel about the talk? Uh, Feel free to be as honest as you want. Uh, Why do you think bad things happen? Where does temptation come from? How do you resist temptation? How would you describe the devil's tactic of accusation? What are some examples? What do you think about the idea of overcoming evil with good? And where do you think you can make a difference in the world?